What is the? What do you want me to say? You have found Chameleon, season three, Wild Boys, a production of Campside Media. Oh. <laughs> a heads up: this show contains discussions of an eating disorder. If you or someone you know is struggling with eating disorders, please listen with care. Imagine for a moment that you are a person who loves fruit. You love fruit so much, it's literally all you eat. To the point that authorities try to forcibly stop you, try to take you away from your family. So you run away, and after a dramatic escape and a suspenseful few days on the lam, you wind up in the Okanagan, seemingly an entire valley, an economy built around fruit, vineyards, orchards and berry farms. Everywhere you look is another hand-painted sign that says things like peaches ahead, fresh berries, or farmer's market open. You think, could I be dreaming? Is this a real place? It's like Fruit Valley. It's like the fruits were just ripe and juicy. And it's all, it was all really good. The, the food they grow up there in Canada. Ripe fruits and like ripe peaches and the best fruit ever, really. Amazing. You know, it's always ripe and perfect. Almost the best fruit I can ever remember tasting in my life. The horns had found their own personal Eden. Kyle and Rowan had been hitchhiking around a little bit, trying to find a place to settle, to park their run from the law. I imagine them seeing Cal Lake out the window, and then like everyone who sees it for the first time, being like, stop the car, let me out. And then right there, right next to Cal Lake. Cal Lake has that little nice store right there. I mean, what a blessing, you know? It was really cool, really close to a fruit stand. It was like, really close to town. We walk and walk everywhere. You can get like a huge bag of ripe tomatoes for like a buck. And it was just really chill. I mean, that store might be the reason we actually stopped and just chose that spot because it's like, but I know it's not gonna last forever because of seasons, but a person could just survive on like $2 a day or something. Just so much food. As they scouted the area, checking out the rail trestle and the beach and the pier, they noticed the treed area behind Cal's store. Yeah, there was literally a perfect little place. It seemed pretty secluded, like where no one could see us. So we found a right. good place, like with a bunch of uh, trees kind of covering up an area. We didn't have to clear that or anything. You know, you go back and I was like, whoa, it's almost like someone created it. <laughs> it was a perfect little place to put a tent. It felt like the universe was winking at them, reassuring them that they were on the right path. Even if they weren't already the type of boys to believe that sort of thing, it was undeniable that everything was coming up Horn Brother. How else do you explain Rowan's ability to escape authorities in his compromised physical state? How else could they have literally walked across an international border in broad daylight and end up in a town so perfectly suited to their wants and needs? It was as if they dreamt it up themselves. But into their relief and euphoria seeped reality. As the weeks passed, the $500 their mom gave Kyle for his Canadian adventure was quickly dwindling. But they couldn't just get a job. So they needed to find a way to make money on the down low without drawing attention. 
They got scrappy and creative. They started hanging out around a grocery store nearby, offering to valet park people's shopping carts when they were done with them. We'd like, oh, can I return your cart? Because you know, then you get the quarter out. I imagine people thought it was cute. Two boys looking to make a little bit of money. Vernon is a town that appreciates nothing more than an industrious and enterprising youth. Must be for school or a good cause. Sure, of course you can take my cart back, the polite people of Vernon would say. They'll give you the cart knowing that you, you get to keep the quarter. But you can't really make a living off four shopping carts for a dollar. So they turned their attention to Cal Beach. They figured, there's a lot of people over there. Maybe some of them are hungry. So we started like trying to sell sandwiches there. And it was ridiculous. We had no like permits or anything. And I think the cops eventually just tried to stop us. We were just trying to sell sandwiches on the beach. Just like buy some bread and yeah. some spread from yeah. Cal store and yeah, like try selling it. We, we like bought bread and we, cause we were running out of money. And then their woes multiplied. On top of their money woes came the changing of season woes. Vernon's like a desert, so the temperature swing between day and night that time of year can get pretty severe. These kids from California had never experienced a Canadian winter before, but they'd heard rumors. With barely enough money for food, no way to make above-the-table money, they definitely weren't going to be able to afford to rent a place or even buy proper winter coats. All the signs that had been smiling at them, reassuring them along the way, suddenly looked like stop signs. And so the boys started to ponder the unthinkable. Is this where the adventure ends? Should we go home? As they're pondering this, one night they go into Cal's store to buy some food with their modest shopping cart winnings or their beach sandwich side hustle funds. When the cashier says, hey, uh, Someone left a note for you guys. I'm Sam Mullins, and from Campside Media, this is Chameleon, Wild Boys, Part 8, Out of the Woods. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. Rowan and Kyle took the note back to their tent and stared at it. And so I wrote a note and just said I really wanted to help them. And if you could please call this number. And I left some quarters. The terrible irony of this is that Rowan and Kyle were days, if not hours, away from looking at each other and just saying, Welp packing up their bindle on a stick and heading back to California and bypassing the whole circus that was to come. Yeah, and it all happened just in time because winter was coming. Right. And, uh, you know, we if it would have gotten so cold, we need to, like, leave the area or something because we didn't have enough money to last through the winter. Mm -hmm. So we probably would just headed south if, nothing, if none of this had happened and just, okay, let's get out of here. It's cold. But the note did come. So there they sat, pondering a whole new alternative in this choose-your-own-adventure they were on. We talked about it that night, like, do we want to do this? Do we want to just try to leave the area? Kyle isn't sure, but Rowan, clearly the one with more on the line, says, Yeah, we should stay. Let's, let's meet Tammy then. 
But if they were going to do this, step out of the shadows on the fringes of town and into the light of Tammy Ryder and co., they needed something they were yet to acquire. A plan. Talking to Tammy could maybe get them indoors for the winter, but it would almost certainly also attract questions. Questions that they'd need to be able to answer fluently so that they wouldn't raise any suspicions. Like, I th- it won't fly if we just don't give any information. If we just say, oh, you know, we're not going to tell you anything about us. Right. So I, I thought, okay, we need to have some sort of story. <laughs> they'd sort of dabbled in the world of fake names while hitchhiking, but they kind of bungled it. I remember this person who picked us up, they were like, well, what's your name? And I'm like, oh my God, I forgot my, forgot my fake name. <laughs> that might fly with a random trucker happy to have the company for a few miles, but this was something else entirely. When we first got the note from Tammy, that's when I'm like, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna need to do something else. If they wanted to really make a life in Vernon work, they need more than fake names. They were going to need a story. A story so elaborately and methodically planned and cogent in its details that it could withstand the scrutiny of the most prying of hockey moms and the most skeptical of cops. There's nothing elaborate about what we did. Yeah, we came up with that over the course of like 30 minutes to an hour at some park. (laughs) Right. It was literally thought up the last second. Um, We were like sitting on some park bench or whatever and we just started you know, thinking about what we would say if people asked us where we're from, who we are. First, they brainstormed fake names, names they could remember this time. So we, uh, Kyle came up with Tom Green, which is that funny comedian. (laughs) Yeah, funny Canadian comedian Tom Green. So that would be easy enough to remember. Rowan came up with the name Will using a kind of mnemonic device. I think I kind of, you know, used my obsession with the diet and how healthy I was going to eat. I used that as like kind of a way to boost my self-esteem. Like, look how, look how much willpower you have. Look how good you are. You know, you're able to resist all these temptations or able to be on this super strict diet. Okay, cool. So they were Tom and Will Green. That's a good start. But who exactly are Tom and Will Green? What's their deal? We just wanted to basically say as little as we had to, to say something that would be accepted. And the hardest thing for people to accept would be that they couldn't prove who they were. We wanted to make sure it made sense. Um, You know, just why would people have no identification? It was almost like solving a riddle. Who are people that exist, but not on paper? Who is born to parents who raise them without ever giving the government a heads up? And are from a place that would be impossible to find. Who would that be? What if we were from the bush? I imagine the two of them looking at each other, being like, that's it. That could work. I mean, it's possible. It's possible. There on that park bench, after a very phoned-in brainstorm session, the infamous Bush Boys of Vernon were born. They went back to their icy cocoon of their tent for their final sleep as Roan and Kyle Horn before metamorphosing into the Brothers Green. The next morning, they teetered across a log, put a quarter in the payphone, and dialed Tammy Ryder. 
As Kyle and Rowan waited for Tammy to arrive at the store, running through their story, it's here where the power dynamic everyone in Vernon observed, Kyle in charge, Roan sitting back, this is where that got established. And I said, I'll, I'll take the lead. I'll answer most stuff. Um, you know, I'm the older one. It just makes sense. So, yeah, yeah, I took the lead on that. Still wasn't 100% sure if we'd need to use it. But as soon as we met Tammy, she was there with the social worker. And it's like, oh. <laughs> You know, okay. and they're asking us all these questions. Okay, we're going to need to tell the story. Right. Tammy didn't remember bringing a social worker to that first meeting, but Kyle does. Tammy also remembers the boys first telling her the full Bush Boy story outside the government office, not this first meeting. It's been nearly 20 years, so there are a few small detailed differences like that. But whoever was there, they were witnessing the debut performance of the Bush Boys. We grew up in the woods. No TV, no school, no nothing. Our parents kicked us out for being vegetarians. They want nothing to do with us. But it was also very amicable. You don't need to investigate them. As Kyle spins the yarn, Rowan sits back and watches Tammy. I remember just just being, you know, I'm very, um, I think I have a high degree of emotional intelligence. Very good at judging, like, character. So immediately, like someone like Tammy, I just, like quickly, like I get Tammy, like immediately what she's about, like I get her. She's good. They trusted Tammy right away. In a lot of ways, she made them feel at home. She has a lot of the same qualities of my mom, just very empathetic, sensitive. And it seems like this empathetic stranger is believing their story, which is a relief. But also, for the first of many times during their stay in Vernon, this other feeling starts to settle in. When you have to tell a lie that big, it's mm. like, um, yeah. Right. It just makes you feel, in a sense, that you're not trusting of anyone. You just feel like this imposter phony, right? So there's this big wall between you and everyone. So bringing Tammy and others into the fold came with this odd mix of relief and disconnection. It sucks to have to lie to anyone, and you, the better the person, the more it sucks to have to lie to them, right? You don't want to lie to... Lying in general is not good. Um, but if you needed to lie for your survival, I think it's justifiable, you know? For most people, lie to save their own life. The lie was a necessity. And while it brought them food and shelter, it didn't bring them peace of mind. As each person stepped in to help them, it just made things feel messier. I remember being really worried about that. Like, I remember being worried that if we involve ourselves too much with people who are trying to help us, that maybe our story would get found out. Um, and then I remember, I think Kyle just, you know, tried to kind of ease my fears about that. Kyle wasn't afraid. Because selling Vernon the story bought Kyle the one thing he wanted most. Time. The story the people of Vernon would come to tell about Kyle was that he didn't care about Rowan's health. But actually, for Kyle, getting Rowan healthy was the entire point of this whole escapade. My intention was to give Rowan the time he needed. The time Rowan needed to get back on the right track and heal himself. Rowan had run out of time in California. The alarm had sounded, and it was Kyle who had reached out to hit the snooze button. 
while Kyle is putting on an unconcerned front to the people of Vernon. Roan skinny? Huh, didn't notice. I think he's fine. I'm not too worried about it. Behind the closed doors of their hostel room, amid the fruits and nutritional volumes, Kyle was sounding a lot like the other adults trying to get through to his brother. Yeah, he would try to say, you know, yeah, you should eat more this or that. Like maybe just eat some nuts, Rowan. Those are good for you and they have lots of good fats. If you gain some weight in the right way, people will leave us alone. Problem solved. And I'm just like, nope, nope. <laughs> I, I know what I'm doing. I've researched it. Because at that point, I've just studied it. I was researching fruitarianism and I'm like, oh, there's all these fruitarians. There's so many fruitarians. I'm not the only one. I'm like, there's all these fruitarians all over the world. They're, they're fine. Like he had with everyone else who tried to convince him before this, Rowan ignored Kyle and stuck to the fruit. Throughout all of this, Kyle would still be calling home regularly, updating his mom on some version of his life in Canada, leaving out one big detail, of course. There was no, you know, like, wink, wink, I have Rowan. Like, there was nothing on those calls that would be like, that, that they, they should know, because I told them, like, Rowan's not with me. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel he was being cryptic. I really had no idea. He might call once a, a week or once every two or three weeks to let me know how he's doing. No, Rowan's not here. Yes, I'm doing fine. And Diana believed him. Yes, Kyle had coincidentally taken his vaguely discussed but never very seriously planned trip to Canada right when Rowan went missing, but... She had a few other reasons to believe Kyle didn't take Rowan. First, cousin Jared. She knew that he drove Kyle north, so when he got back, she asked her nephew straight up, was Rowan with you guys? He insisted, no, no, Rowan was not there. I don't know if you guys have heard, but cousin Jared is fucking solid. Plus, for Diana, there were other clues that seemed to indicate that Rowan was still in the area. I'd go around to the... The servers who give samples out at Costco and say, have you seen him? And one of them said, yes. (laughs) And then another one said, yeah, he was home from a Walmart. People were giving him money. They searched the Greenbelt Park area, where there were some new homes that were under construction. And we would see half a cantaloupe rind or an avocado rind. We're like, he has been here. He has been here. (laughs) So she was pretty sure Rowan was not in Canada with Kyle. But where he was... She had no clue. And with every day that passed, she grew more distraught. Every day, I was focused and obsessing on either looking for him or being on the computer. I I think by day I would look, and by night I would be on the computer until 2 in the morning. And I I was typing out two whole huge documents. Diana's in this weird catch-22 situation. She really wants to find Rowan, but... Also, she knows that if and when they do, Child Protective Services will immediately take him to the mental hospital, and she and Roger will lose custody. That threat hadn't gone away. She was convinced that Rowan would never come home if he thought the authorities were just going to try and take him again. If I could just get the Child Protective Services to back down and and, um, give me another chance to fatten him up and, and not have the mental hospital be the only alternative, you know... Maybe I could get him to come home. So she starts writing a letter to CPS to try and persuade them to back down. 
Every night, she logs onto her computer and types late into the night. She says, you guys have it all wrong. His diet actually is healthy. I've researched it. I was diligently researching every single nutrient, every vitamin, every mineral, to say, well, well look it. If he eats berries, he's filling in these gaps. He's getting this, this, and that. And, and I was trying to see, does he possibly have a well-balanced, sustainable diet on this thing. And Diana's like, furthermore, my son didn't come up with his ideas because he's crazy. He's doing what I taught him to do. He's not that mentally ill. He's just reacting to his upbringing. We taught him not to trust doctors, and he was just trying to, you know, deal with his spleen and his acne. In conclusion, we are not the problem, CPS. You are the problem. These people don't understand. They've made They've made my son a runaway. And so I'm telling the Child Protective Service, if you back down and if he calls, and I could tell him it's safe to come home, then his life can stop being threatened. Because if he's out there alone, he, he's in danger. Who knows what could happen? I want my boy home. Please back down so my boy will come home. XOXO, Diana Horn. And the Child Protective Service specifically told me, no, this is... His problem, his bed, he made it, he can line it, you know. They tell her, nope, if he does come back home, we're coming to get him. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. I'm Samantha Cole host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat. Available now. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. Back in Canada, pressure was starting to mount. Cracks were beginning to appear in their story. Corporal Henry Prose was on the scene now, poking his head around, being a thorn in their side. I remember the, the main like sheriff. I can't remember, but I can like kind of picture him. But Henry Prose. <laughs> Yeah, pro se. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. I remember he was a nice guy. You know, like you could tell he's a genuine good guy. He's the kind of guy you want. He's a good, good man, good police. Yeah. You want someone like him. Try to guess what the Horn brothers think about anything at your own peril. Pro se's presence in their life, sniffing around, was the biggest existential threat to their plan. So in their room at the hostel, they'd have to cross-reference their stories to make sure everything was lining up. So we had to, sometimes we had to talk amongst ourselves and make sure our, get our story straight and make sure we're keeping on the light, right track. And like, I heard you say something like that, but 
should you have really said that? And uh, we had conversations about that. It was like they were trapped in a five-month-long improv scene, and they had to stay on top of the scene math. Wait, did we establish that we're lions on Mars, or did we say that we were tigers on Jupiter? Things would slip. Things that made it harder for people to buy the Bush Boy story. Sorry, guys, I forget. Have you never used electricity before, or have you watched every pop-culturally relevant movie of the past two decades? I think we got way too comfortable. We just started like living this life and, and you know, and uh, yeah, certainly uh, sloppy. The whole purpose of this high maintenance story was to buy time to get Rowan's weight up. But things were getting frustrating for Kyle. He wanted to just get a job so that he could disentangle himself and his brother from all these good Samaritans. And there wouldn't even be good Samaritans to disentangle themselves from in the first place if his brother would just have some sense, make some better choices. But as Roan's health deteriorated, the malnutrition made it hard for even Kyle to get through to him. Because my brain at that point was just I think my brain was already suffering nutritional deficiencies. I wasn't thinking, right? right? I don't think my brain was in the right state. So Rowan starts not only resisting weight gain, he starts thinking this weight loss that's slowly killing him is actually working as he hoped it would. They'd say, you'll go through a cleansing process, you'll lose all your weight, that's your body shedding its toxins, but then once you shed all your toxins, then your body will finally start putting on the weight back on. But it said you need to go through that cleansing process. Rowan's resistance turns into paranoia. Afraid, even driving anywhere. I was probably thinking, I might be driving to the hospital for all I know. I may be driving right into the handcuffs, or who knows? Like, you know, that's the type of mind I had. Just paranoid, thinking anything. So while Rowan sees a mental hospital around every corner, even Kyle can't get him to do the one thing that would keep him out of the hospital. Through all those months, even up till March, he hadn't really changed anything. Even despite going to that naturopath, despite everything, you know, at that point, he, he knew he had all the information to say, you know, yeah, you're right. I should, you know, this experiment's gone long enough. Let me gain 10 pounds or whatever. You can hear the depth of his frustration even now, 20 years later. The impressive confidence and will of Kyle Horn is no match for a teenager in the throes of an eating disorder. So Kyle takes an unexpected turn. One no one could have predicted, and the people of Vernon certainly never knew he took. Behind closed doors, at least, Kyle started to side with the authorities. I told Rowan, your grace period's over. What can I do for you? Because he really didn't want to be force-fed some garbage that they would put tube down your throat and put some garbage into your, your stomach. So if he really didn't want that, he should maybe just play along, you know, gain some weight. What's the big deal? Live free or die, Kyle, turns into Rowan, just live, please. Even if that means giving up your freedom. You know, when someone's that skinny, you know, just like when someone's on drugs and there's an intervention, like, well, you still have the freedom. You know, there's certain cases people just don't care about freedom anymore, and that's fine. You know, as long as society stays within certain bounds, you know, there's certain cases where in the person's best interest is suicidal people. It's the person's best interest, you just stop them. You take away the freedom for their own benefit. Mm-hmm. And uh, the end result ended up, Rowan seemed to, it, it was good. Because Rowan started eating, so 
no one could argue that it was bad. At that point, Kyle's kind of like, let go and let Vernon. Yeah. At that point, he was in the community because it's not like him, just him and me camping anymore. He's, he's sort of in the community. Kyle knew that he couldn't protect Rowan, but he also knew that protection wasn't what his little brother needed anymore. That day in March, Corporal Henry Prose parked his police cruiser on Main Street and turned his eyes toward Nature's Fair, where Rowan was in the checkout. I just remember walking out, like, I think, yeah, I just remember walking out with my bags of groceries right after I bought them. And then I saw Prose walking up towards me, you know? Yeah. And that time I wasn't going to run. Like, there's no way. I was weak and no, no way I was going to run. So I just went, went with them. So Prose drives him to Vernon Jubilee, taunting him about how they're going to make him eat burgers when they get there. That's a mean thing to do. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I, that's, I forgive him. I'm not, I'm not holding a grudge on Prose to this day. I'm just saying, for part of the story, for truthfulness, for authenticity. As they pulled into the hospital, it felt like Rowan's worst fears were about to come true. I remember being terrified. I remember being terrified. I thought, oh, girl, I, I, I ruined. I, I, I thought I was ruined. I thought I had failed the whole thing, the whole mission, because it was just going to destroy everything I've been working so hard for. He gets checked in and taken to a room, and he waits for a nightmare that never comes. There's no burgers, no intubation. He quickly realizes, Oh, these people are reasonable. They're not going to force feed me. They're letting my brother bring me bunch of food from the health food store. What a blessing. These people are awesome. Good on Canada. It was there at Vernon Jubilee Hospital that Rowan finally gets accurately diagnosed. Not with anorexia, as most people assumed, but orthorexia. And the doctors he'd been so terrified of are willing to work with him to figure out a diet that still feels pure, but is much more balanced. And everything's going smoothly until the CBC shows up. And honestly, this is a part of the story that has always baffled me. It baffles Tammy. It baffles a lot of the people I talk to. Rowan was getting healthy. The hospital wasn't as bad as he thought it'd be. Their secret identities were still intact. They were inches away from being out of the woods. So why, in this moment, did they agree to appear on national television? What was the thinking? What was the play? I can't even explain why I was that stupid. Why on earth would I agree to have myself videotaped and photographed? And why wouldn't I, wasn't I smart enough to connect the dots and realize those, those can go to America? And then I would get caught? I can't even explain why I was that stupid. And when the camera was pointed at Rowan, he immediately regretted it, even before everything fell apart. They, they were just treating me as like more of a spectacle than a person they wanted to interview, because I don't remember being interviewed. The disclosure crew weren't allowed to come in with their cameras to interview him, so they sent Kyle in with the camera. But however it was, it didn't feel good to Rowan. It felt more just kind of exposed and vulnerable and like kind of embarrassed, you know, for being in this hospital and like like the eyes are on you like in this like patient and you're this ill person in the hospital. So, you know, now I think I've gotten over most of that that embarrassment over over the whole thing. But I think remember feeling that, remember feeling some kind of like awkwardness about being this patient, right? Because you know, no one wants to be thought of as mentally ill. 
The boys' real downfall wasn't just from them appearing on CBC alone. It was also from a decision they made much earlier in their journey. All the way back when they were sitting on that park bench in their first days of Vernon, thinking up their backstory. They tried to make the story as true as possible, so it would be easier to remember and retell. So when people asked what their parents' origins were... We said our parents from California, or had, we, we said our parents had basically come up from California, so I understanding. It was that grain of truth that prompted Proce to call the San Francisco Chronicle, which led to a Bay Area TV station picking up the story, and suddenly, a thousand miles away from Rowan in his hospital bed, a kid in California sees the Horn brothers on his TV screen and calls his friend, the boy's big brother, Gabriel. I was going to school in Oregon, I received some message from one of my younger cousin's friends who had become a friend of mine. And so he messaged me, hey, I think I saw your brothers on this thing. And I did the search, oh my gosh, there they are. Gabriel immediately picked up his phone and called his mom. And said, we found Rowan. Diana hangs up and calls the TV station. I'm like, I hear you ran a show about my son. I'm his mother. And they're like, you're kidding me. A couple calls later, Diana's connected with Tammy. And I'm like, Tammy, I'm the long lost mother. You guys, and you know, and we have a dad here who you guys have been trying to figure out who are the parents of these kids who supposedly grew up in Revelstoke and Mary and Joseph. Tammy hands her phone to Kyle in the parking lot. Yeah, she, you know, her sweet, like, hi, Kyle. <laughs> uh, yeah, my mom has a nice voice. And as Kyle hears his mother's nice voice, eight months since Rowan ran out the back door, since he tapped on Kyle's window, he knows. The jig is up. That's, that's the word. The jig is up. Nothing we could do now. It's over. Game over. And what Kyle and Rowan could not have anticipated when they ran for Rowan's life was that getting caught would feel like a relief. It felt like some part of them wanted this. How else to explain how lax they'd gotten with the story and their willingness to go on national TV? If we, if for, if for anyone that didn't want to get caught, right? We didn't do the best job. <laughs> so maybe some part of me in my psychology or my subconscious was so stressed out about the whole thing and so done with it all that it just wanted to get caught because we made some real dumb decisions if we didn't want to get caught. Maybe some part of my subconscious realized that I was in a dangerous state mm -hmm. and just, it wanted to be like the Tammy. Right. Like I had a Tammy in my body that is like, we got to save this guy. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. What if you could become stronger, more resilient, cure disease, and all you have to do is get naked in the cold and breathe? You get into ice water, and instead of, like, freaking out, you relax. It's called the Wim Hof Method, and Gwyneth Paltrow and Justin Bieber love it. I do the ice plunge because it's good for your body. But there's also a dark side. How many people have died doing the Wim Hof Method? We can override even death! Listen on the podcast Infamous. That's Infamous, playing now. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. 
As they start to coordinate the logistics of CBC flying the horns to Vernon to reunite with their sons, Diana, Roger, and Gabriel are starting to learn the details of what their sons and their brother had been up to for the past year. It's all over the internet. It's on TV. I'm just watching this unfold like it's on TV, like it's somebody else's family. Really, it's what it felt like for a while. I had no idea like a lot of the stuff that was happening until I read about it or saw about it at right. that point. So it was a, a very chaotic time. What did you make of the bogus story thing? So Kyle. I mean, like, yes. Not surprised that this was their story. Like, it's like... What what makes you say that so Kyle? Just, he's 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 eccentric, right? In the way he thinks. And, you know, it, it wasn't surprising that they came up with that story. And it wasn't surprising that them... Because they're odd kids, right? Like, them telling the story, people are going to believe it. It's like, yeah, there is something different about you. I bet you did grow up in the woods. I totally, like, it's like, it's just, yeah. So knowing that it was them, like, how different Kyle thinks as well as how people would receive them. It's like, yeah, it's 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 an exceptional story, but like, and, and weird, but it makes sense. <laughs> When Diana and Roger arrived in Vernon, they reunited with Kyle in the parking lot, did an interview, and finally, Diana was taken up the hill to the hospital to see her baby boy for the first time in months. It was finally great to be, not have to hide from them anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it, it is pure bliss, right? Being back with my boy, who I was worried about and missed, we have a very close connection. Um, it was wonderful. That's that's the that's the thing that shines over everything. I think I just miss my mom and her love and her energy. Mm-hmm. So just having my mom back and just being with her, that was that was the big relief. Rowan climbed onto his mom's lap in the hospital chair, and she held him like he was a baby again, his fragile body in her arms, almost weightless. Kyle and Roger had left town quickly, so it was just Diana and Rowan, as Rowan's health continued to stabilize. She stayed at the hostel, sharing the same space her boys had occupied for several months. I can only imagine the conversations in the common room when Diana would pass through, smiling sweetly, and saying hello to the other tenants. At long last, Diana also got to meet the woman who'd been caring for her sons all this time, Tammy. I asked Diana if it was awkward as the real mom to meet the surrogate mom. No, no, no. I was just, I was just so grateful because I, I didn't know where he was and I wasn't doing that role. And um, I knew how skinny he got. You know, I felt she was a lifesaver. I was very grateful. I love her very much. With Kyle gone, Diana would be the one going around town, picking up the supplements and the smoothies to bring to Rowan, armed with her newly acquired months of devoted study and knowledge gathering she'd done in Rowan's absence. She knew Rowan would need all of his strength for what was to come. Because this was not the end of the story. Her efforts to persuade Child Protective Services to back off had gone nowhere. So she knew that as soon as her newly found son touched down in Sacramento, she would lose him again. Rowan would be forcibly taken to the mental hospital. Diana and Roger would lose custody. 
Diana sat beside Rowan as he slept and wondered if maybe there could have been a better option, if maybe Kyle had asked her for help. When he saw that his little, his little experiment in trying to rescue Rowan, when he saw it wasn't quite working out, I, I am surprised he didn't reach out to me at that point. You know, uh, Mom, what should we do? Okay, here's the truth. I do have Rowan, and he's not doing well. He's really getting skinny. Maybe you yeah. better come up here and see what you can do for him. You know, because they could have invited us to come up there and, you know, get an apartment and shelter them and make sure Rowan eats, and I, they'd still be safe from America. This made me think of something their brother Gabriel said when I asked him if he was offended that Rowan only trusted Kyle. I'm a little surprised that he would have been, you know, so sure that he couldn't trust his whole family, right? right? Collectively, that he couldn't get, you know, get in front of us all, speak his piece, and then have us all conspire with him. He probably could have convinced my parents to do pretty much anything. <laughs> it doesn't seem impossible that given the chance, if Rowan had tapped on Diana's window instead, or if Kyle had made that call, Diana would have also run to Canada for Rowan. I could have showed up as Mary, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's Mary. <laughs> you could have showed up as Joseph. They didn't have to know we were from Roseville. Yeah, we, 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 we didn't even think of that. In an alternate universe, Mary and Joseph and Tom and Will Green played out the rest of their days in Vernon, going to Vernon Vipers games, skiing at Silver Star, growing weed in their front yard with the rest of us. But what the horns would face next would be a lot more menacing than that. Arrangements were made for Rowan to be flown to California. Diana wasn't allowed to fly with him, so Rowan said goodbye to his mom for now and to Vernon forever. The plane touches down in his home state. They usher me out of the jet when I get to America and like all the cops, you know, just so they'd make sure I don't run away this time. Like the night Rowan first ran away, he was by himself. He entered the hospital he'd been running from all this time as a ward of the state. Whatever freedoms he had as a person were gone. There's tons of cops there. There's like 10 cops like following me or, you know, ushering me to the, to the new hospital. Um, and... It would be worse than he feared. Chameleon is a production of Campside Media with Sony Music. Wild Boys was reported and written by me, Sam Mullins. It's produced by Abakara Don, and our editor is Karen Duffin. Our senior producer is Ashley Ann Craigbaum. Sound design and mixing by Hannes Brown and Garrett Tiedemann. Original music by Hannes Brown, Garrett Tiedemann, Epidemic Sound, and Blue Dot Sessions. Our fact checker is Alex Yablon. Special thanks to our operations team, Doug Slaywin, Aaliyah Papes, and Allison Haney. The executive producers at Campside Media are Matt Scher, Vanessa Gregoriadis, Josh Dean, and Adam Hoff.
If you or someone you know is struggling with your relationship with food, please know you're not alone. There are free, confidential helplines with people just waiting to help. In the U.S., you can call or text the National Eating Disorder Association at 1-800-931-2237. That's 1-800-931-2237. In Canada, the National Eating Disorder Information Center hotline is 1-866-633-4220. That's 1-866-633-4220. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Don't want to wait until next week for the next episode of Chameleon? You don't have to. Subscribe to Chameleon Uninterrupted on Apple Podcasts to listen to the next episode right now. You'll get early access to new episodes every week completely ad-free. Plus, you'll unlock episodes of our exclusive bonus series, Art of the Con. Just visit the Chameleon Show page on Apple Podcasts to start your free trial today.